All right, this is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it is all that I need. Last week we saw how Jesus was teaching and he came to the end of his teaching and his last words were, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So that last verse of teaching, he again in the last weeks couldn't have made it clear. You have a choice and it's one of two decisions. And by your choice makes a difference whether you're going to spend eternal, your eternal life in hell or you're going to experience eternal life in heaven. And that's how he left it. And then it says when he finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover in two is going to be in two days. And the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Okay, there was a, there was a, uh, I mean, uh, making a statement like that, that still those disciples. But I, I'm not going to read every verse, like I said to you, but I do want you to see, because what hit me, the contrast between selfless and selfish whether it's all about you or whether it's all about him. And it is, to me, I, I never saw it so, so clear. So this is what we're going to kind of look at. Right now you've got the chief priests. You've got the elders of the people. They're assembled in the palace of the high priest. His name was Caiaphas. Now watch these words of these because remember what Jesus called them in Matthew 24 when he gave him the seven warnings, the seven woes. He tried so desperately to get their attention. Remember we said that whole chapter, even though as stern and as powerful as it was, it was such a chapter of love. He was pulling out all the stops so that they would somehow believe. But their decision... I mean, here, look, they were so religious, and look at the words. Look at words like plotted to arrest. Some sly way. I mean, that just, that doesn't even mesh with the heart of Jesus. I mean, this shows, if you need verses that say, okay, can you be very religious and still have a heart that is, well, here, it's the whitewashed tomb. You look squeaky clean on the outside. You look like a whitewashed tomb, nothing nothing bad on the outside looking at you. But he says, inside, you're nothing but dead bones. You are dead. That's what it looks like. Because these, these squeaky clean religious men, they're plotting, they're slyly. Those are not words of Jesus. They're selfish. They want him out of there. They want to kill him. But look at this. But not during the feast, they said, or they may be, or there may be a riot among the people. So 
what did they know? They knew that the people were starting to come along. The people were starting to believe. They were threatened by this. They, they wanted control. They wanted that authority over them. And so, okay, let's do it. Not, not when the people, not during the feast. You talk about selfish. Those verses all about themselves. Okay, now, when Jesus went to Bethany, he went to the home of Simon the leper, and a woman came up with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head, and he was reclining at the table. Now, I think the reason when we look at the word Bethany, we also know who else lived there besides Simon the leper. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived in Bethany. Now, we don't know if this woman was Mary. We don't know if it was Mary Magdalene. We don't know who it was. All we know is that Jesus was at Simon the leper's house. Now, did that, did that get you a little bit? Like in his last couple of days, his last couple of days on earth, again, instead of going to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, it sounds like I said last week, now he's only two days away. And, and yet, what is, where does he go? To the house of who? A leper. I mean, he's still ministering to people. He's still going to the house of a leper. Because what did Jesus say he came to do? He came to save. He came to heal. He came to those who needed him or those who, who knew they needed him. And this woman, I don't know who she is, but this woman has been changed by Jesus. Now, Look at this alabaster perfume, very expensive. I asked you a question about that. What do you think? I mean, this cost her a great deal. But what did she want to show Jesus? Her love for him, her her gratitude. She understood that if it wasn't for him and what he was going to do, she would be lost This was the least she could do to show him somehow, some way, that she loved him and she was grateful. I look at at her pouring, I mean, like I said, I don't know how much money she had, I mean, but I, I just know that this alabaster perfume, it cost her. Now, do we love Jesus enough to let the cost be whatever it is so we can show him how much we love him, how much we're grateful for what he's done? You know, so many in our human form when we're selfish, we don't want to be inconvenienced. We don't want it to cost us. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for everything you did, but I don't want it to cost me anything. This woman is such a demonstration of selflessness because it was the least she could do to show him. I think there is a big lesson in there. Sometimes we're afraid to invite somebody or if somebody teases us or somebody mocks us or somebody, you know, for whatever, we think we're so persecuted. I mean, even when it is hard, when somebody falsely accuses you, but I mean, it is going to cost, but this woman shows how worth it, how worth the cost. I'm sure, I don't know how much it cost her. I don't know if it, if it really took a lot from her, but all I know is that she had to do something. 
And I think, do we love them enough that we're willing, whatever it takes, no matter what the cost, and it doesn't always mean money. Maybe it's time. Maybe, it, but it, whatever it is, it's selflessness. You put yourself aside because it is about him. So look, just in those first two paragraphs, you saw the difference between look what selfish looks like, but then look what selfless looks like. Well, the disciples, they were, they were getting a little, they were getting a little miffed by this, you know, it said that they were indignant. Why this waste? This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Now, there's a part of me that gets really upset about this, but, but you know, in some, before I throw too many stones, I mean, there's, there's one, Judas was, was obviously the purse holder, and he was the one that had a dark and hard heart, which he's going to demonstrate later, but, but um, so we know that he had an attitude here. But the other ones, what did Jesus teach? What did Jesus teach so when, when, uh, during the three years, well, what did he try to get across to his disciples? What is our responsibility? Take care of the poor. Take care of the poor. And so he would, he would, you know, so there's a part of me that says that the d- disciples are thinking, you know, hey, Jesus, you know, that was an awful big extravagance, and there's a lot of poor that could have benefited. So maybe there's a, there's, you know, I don't want to get too nasty, but there is one that we can get really upset with. And I think in the other Gospels, it's been made more clear that he was the one that said, hey, you know, this could have been used. And we knew what his heart, his heart was like. So aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to pray prepare me for burial. Now, I went to Mark 16, verse 1. This was Mark's um, take on it. This is Mark's take, and it said that the, that the women came with their spices because, see, Jesus had to take, because the Passover was coming, Jesus had to be taken down from the cross real hurriedly, and Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they wrapped him in a white cloth, and then they just put him in the tomb, and then the women were going to come, and they were going to anoint him later. And so now, we know that when these women, these same women came on that third day, they had their spices, according to Mark 16.1. They had their spices. They were going to do what they couldn't do before. And so we know that Jesus was already, he had already arisen. And so do you think, oh dear, oh no, his body didn't get properly prepared in the Jewish culture. That would have just been horrible. And yet we read this, look what Jesus said. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. So maybe he, she didn't, he didn't get the spices at that particular time. But look at Jesus already knew. I watched the details, how he had everything prepared from the donkey to the to the upper room, the way he laid out the Passover, he had every detail, even to the point that this anointing took care of that missing time of his body being anointed. She took care of it. I tell you the truth, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. 
Okay, now I want you to see selfish again. Look at Then one of the 12, Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, look at this line. What are you willing to give me? What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? All I could think of was, you know, gimme, 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 gimme. I mean, that is just such a human trait. This is such a selfish trait. And look at there, he just, what are you willing to give me? And then the Lord's Supper. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and said, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? And he replied, go into the city a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. Again, that, that, that had been provisions he had made. So the disciples did just as Jesus directed him prepared the Passover and that when that evening came Jesus reclining at the table you know that was such a Jesus loved to eat and he he loved to fellowship I mean I don't think Jesus was fussy about the food so much but I think he loved what that meant when people got together to to eat they they fellowship they had fun they laughed they they probably cared for one another. They talked about the day. He, this was beautiful time. He loved it. But at this time, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Now, I asked you a question about this. Because look, at they were very sad and began to say to one another, surely not I, Lord. Now, did you think about that? For three years, Judas Iscariot was a part of the twelve. He heard the same things. He saw the same miracles. And you'd think, because Jesus knows everything, you'd think that there would have been a little bit. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i just thinking about myself. If I had 12 friends and I knew that one was going to betray me and I knew that one was even going to see to it that, that I was handed over to the people that were going to put me to death, I have to say I think I would hold a grudge for three years. I think there would have been a part of me that would be hard to love him the same as the other eleven. And yet it's so it's so identifiable here that he loved them all the same because none of them knew. He showed no partiality. He showed no difference in his love. That's why don't ever think that Peter, James, and John were his favorites. He loved them all the same, and every one of them knew the love of Jesus. And Judas did too, except he didn't. He, he chose not to, to take it back. And he didn't choose to take it for himself. Because none of them knew. So Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The son of man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the son of man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Jesus knew that Judas, because he gave, I mean, I think Jesus, even up to the end, I think he was loving Judas and he was giving him a chance even though he knew he wasn't going to choose it. I think Jesus still always tries. He still hugged him. He still loved on him. 
But when he knew, when he knew his heart, when he knew he was, there was no more chances. He knew that he had made his decision. He had made his choice. That was a huge comment. When Jesus said it would be better for him if he had not been born, because it would have been better for him not to be born at all than to spend the rest of his life where? In hell. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, surely not I, Rabbi. Oh, can you imagine how that broke Jesus' heart? And Jesus had to answer, yes, it is you. Now, another gospel says that, that then he got up from the table and he left and it was night. That's what one of the gospels said. It was night. In other words, it was dark and it was night for Judas. It was all over. But Jesus went back. He went back to the other 11. And while they were eating, he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body. And then he took the, the cup and then he said, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I asked you a question about that. Did you notice did you notice the, the transformation? Because remember when God said to Moses, after, the, after God delivered the, Egypt, the Israelites from the Egyptians, and the last, the tenth plague, was the blood on the doorpost, and the angel of death will pass over. And again, again, all of the Old Testament, all of that symbolism was all to get the people to know that a Savior was coming and he would shed his blood. But until that day, he, God said to Moses, I want you to do this every year. I want you to, to have unleavened bread. I want you to have this meal. I want you to do the blood over. I want you to remember. And, and now, again, what else? Not only for you to remember, but your next generation. Because I'm sure those kids are going to say, oh, I don't like this bread. This doesn't taste, this doesn't taste like a normal bread. Well, how come you had to kill that little, that little lamb? Kids are full of questions, you know. And God said to Moses, this is your responsibility. Not only are, to you, are you to remember what happened. Because if, if the Israelites had been destroyed, then even the Israelites year, year, year later, they, they know that there would be, they wouldn't be there. So this whole remember is we're alive today. The next generation happened because God saved. God delivered. Now, they were to remember but then to tell. So now we see that they don't have to, they, for this last supper here together, Jesus didn't kill a lamb. He didn't, he didn't do any of that. What did he do this time? He's transferring the Passover to what? Himself. And now what does he say to you and I? What did he say to them, which is, which is the same as telling us? 
do this in remembrance of me. We don't have to do the Passover because Jesus is the Passover. Jesus is the deliverer from eternal death. But he says to us, just like he says back in the Old Testament, he says, I want you to keep doing this, not only for you to remember, but what an opportunity to be able to explain to the next generation what Jesus did. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out of the mount, out to the Mount of Olives. And then Jesus told them, that very night you will all fall away on account of me. And he quoted prophecy. But then he says, but after I have risen... See, because in the first part of this chapter, he said, um, as you know, the Passover is in two days, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified and all the times when Jesus told his disciples that he was going to be crucified, he always said, but three days I will rise. So when I read this first, I thought, oh, he doesn't say that. He just makes sure they know that in two days, Passover, and he is going to be handed over to be crucified. And then I see this in verse 32. He does say prophecy is going to be fulfilled, and I want you to know that after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. So they did hear that. But then, now, this is where I want you to see selfish again. Because it's just so true. I mean, you know, this whole Lord's Supper was selflessness because obviously Jesus was so willing to give of his body and of his blood. But now, and I know they meant well. I know Peter meant well. But this is why we sang tonight, I need you every hour. Because, see, I watch Peter. I watch him and the other disciples. Because it says, Peter said, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same thing. I'm telling you, if you think, if you are not connected to him, disowning him or denying him is just so easy. It is so natural. And believe it or not, it, it does come easier than what you want to admit. If you aren't connected to him, if you aren't, if you aren't believing that song, I need you every hour. Because if I disconnect from you and I try doing any of this on my own, I'm going to fall flat. These men... They, they, down deep, they meant well, but they can't do without them. They're trying to do this in their own strength. This is an example of what it looks like to try to live Christianity, to try to live for Christ without the Holy Spirit's power. Because remember, look at a change happened to them just not too down the road, a few weeks, they, the Holy Spirit comes and these men are totally changed and they have been given, they have power and they can stand up in front of thousands. And they can, But right now, in their own strength, oh no, no problem, I can handle this. Anytime you think you can handle this, let this be a lesson, self cannot handle it. That's why on the second of our salvation, 
We are sealed with his Holy Spirit because we can't do it without him. They go to Gethsemane. I think this did, this was on a very emotional time. The time that, I know it's just a few verses, but it was, this, this is a very meaty time. What went on here, it shows Jesus so 100% human here. He says, sit here while I go over there and pray. What does he know? What does he know he has got to do before he begins this he has got to be connected with his father. He has got to hear from him. He admitted that he was becoming more sorrowful and troubled. It was getting to him. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to this point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. See, that's, that's why we had prayer time before. I think it's when you're going through a crisis, when you're going through a struggle, you can even say unspoken. You, we don't even have to know the details. But I think that's what, that's what Jesus is showing here. When I'm going through a hard time, I just love to know that there's people standing with me. That there's people that are bringing me to the Father's throne of grace. I think Jesus is saying here, I'm overwhelmed here. And I need, I need you three, just keep watch with me. I need to know that you're standing here with me. He went a little farther, he fell on his face. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. I mean, how honest is that? In my simple words, I think that this is what he was saying. If you can come up with any other plan, if there is any other way we can accomplish this, this whole idea of suffering and going to hell and being separated from you, I mean, this is just unfathomable. And yet, look what he says, yet. Not as I will, but as you will. If that isn't a lesson for you and I, when we are, I mean, to me, this is the ultimate of suffering. He is going into the ultimate of suffering. Now, you and I, I know, I look at some of you and I think you have gone through suffering. I think of my own life, I've gone through suffering. We know what the, we know what the word means. But I am looking here, and that Jesus is to be our ultimate example, and he is facing the suffering of all sufferings. And what is he willing to say to his Father? Not my will, but yours be done. Do you think he's trying to tell us something? And I think we're going to see why in just a few minutes here. But he's saying right here and now, I might not like it, I might not understand it right now, as far as my our, my own suffering, he's saying, you just surrender. You just let God have his will. You let, you let yourself be used by him. Because it's going to be able to affect someone else. And this is what you're going to see with Jesus. Look at Jesus' suffering. Look how it, his suffering 
Look how it affected you. Look how Jesus suffering and his willingness to say, not my will, but yours be done. He was willing to go through it, even though it's not what he wants. It's not, not exactly what, what I volunteer for. And yet, yes, he did volunteer for it. But in a human state, you don't look forward to that. No one, no one says, oh, let me do that. Humans don't say, oh, keep it on. And yet you're willing to say, because the suffering, you think of what that suffering did for you and me. Then he returned to his disciples, found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Boy, I underlined that. I start that. That was major teaching right there in one sentence. So he still kind of is teaching. He's still using the, his, his suffering, his example. He's saying, you know what? You know what you need? You absolutely need to stay connected. You need to be watching because you know what prayer means? Connected. Watch means warning. Temptation is around the corner for every one of us. Why did he warn? Why does he warn? Because if he warns you, then you'll be, you'll be looking for it. He's saying watch and pray because temptation is right there. Just a reminder, if you think you're so big and strong, the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. I want you to make sure you know that in and of yourself, even temptation is, is too hard. You can't even fight temptation in your own strength and power. You need to stay connected to him and be warned that it's right around the corner because Satan is prowling to see who he can devour next. So that was major line. That's a major line there. A major warning to you and I. If you want to resist temptation, don't think for a second you can do it on your own. He said, this is how you do it. You watch, you're warned, and you stay connected to me. Okay, he went away the second time, and he went away the third time. But look how, look the second time, look at my father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken, may your will be done. He says it again. Now, when he said to them, couldn't you watch with me one hour? I, I couldn't help, and maybe this is a stretch, but I look at our lives. What does James say about our lives? It's a mist. Here today, gone tomorrow. And yet we put so much stock in, into this life. And when Jesus says, couldn't you watch with me one hour, I think what he's saying to me, in this little mist of a life that's just here today, it's just an hour. It's kind of putting it in those terms. Your earthly life is just an hour. 
and after what I've done for you, you can't live for me for one hour? You can't live your life here on this earth for me? Sometimes I think he's just as disappointed with you and me as he was with those disciples because they just fell asleep on him. I think he, can't you, after what I've done and you say and you've been to the cross and, and, you, and you love celebrating Easter and, and yeah, you were just really emotional about it all. And, but what about living your life 364 days for me? The rest of those 364 days. This week did anything for you. Can't you live for me for an hour? Can't you watch and wait with me for an hour? So after the third time, he said, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And this is, this is where you really see his, his selflessness because, I mean, he makes, he makes a point of saying, you know, when the sword came and, I mean, he just really screamed to put your sword back. You know, here they come with all their clubs and all their swords. And he said, do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? <laughs> I'll tell you, this is your, your go-to verse if you want to know that he did that willingly. He handed himself over here. Oh, they might have come with their big gloves and their big swords. But right there is your go-to verse to show you he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set them free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. And then look in the, at the end of verse 56. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. And I, I go back to those words. In verse 35, and all the other disciples said the same. Oh, even if I have to die for you. And then all the disciples deserted him and fled. So now Jesus is before the Sanhedrin. Now, did you notice there were times that he remained silent? And then there were times that he spoke. Now look, he did not, he did not speak with all the false evidence that they were shouting out, you know, and then when the two came and said, oh, this man said he could destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. They're, they're yelling at him about being blasphemer. And they're saying, answer, what, what do you say about that? And verse 62, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. Why would he remain silent? He could have said, yep, I can do that. Because the temple is now going to be me. 
And in three days, it's going to come back to life. I mean, he could have, he could have said all that. Now, why didn't he? What did he know by now? It was, they knew that they weren't going to listen anyway. Because, you know what? He's thinking, I tried telling you 150 million times before. Then the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. (laughs) That's when he spoke up. Because why? I'm not going to deny it. I'm not even going to be quiet about it. Yes, just as you said it, that's who I am. And then he does say these words, and I loved it, didn't you, when he said, but I say to all of you, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. I think he said that with such confidence because he's saying, yes, I am. I am exactly how you said it. And even though you don't buy it, even though you don't believe a word of it, I'm just, I just want to be the one right now to say, oh, there is going to be a day that you're going to say, oops. I remember he told me. I think he purposely said that because he knows that there is going to be a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. They might have denied him all the way to Calvary, but the day will come. I thought that was powerful. One day you are going to see him. Because remember remember what Jesus said about, oh, is, it, is this going to be a surprise? People aren't going to know. He said, nope, it's like lightning in the sky. There isn't any place in this world that you are not going to see it. And you're going to know. And all of a sudden, they're going to remember that. Then the high priest's doors closed. He has spoken blasphemy. Another one said he's worthy of death. And then the brutality starts. And I heard some of your, I know it, it's, it's just, but I think you've got to make yourself watch that because it did happen. He did do that for you. Not only the pain, but the mockery. You know, for them to say, oh, you prophesy. Oh, who just hit you? Oh, that's just got to, that's just speak. That's got to be tormenting. Okay, the final part of this chapter. You just saw selflessness with a capital S. And now you are going to see selfishness again. This is what self looks like. This is how powerless you are. In and of yourself. I mean, that last verse of that song, I need you, I need you every hour. I need you in joy or in pain. I need you, whether there's good times or bad times. I need, I cannot disconnect from you. Come quickly and abide or my life's in vain. That old hymn writer, he got it. 
He must have experienced that. He must have experienced how much of a failure he is when he tries to do it himself. And so here Peter is sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl comes up. Another girl comes up the second time. He denies the first one. The second one, he denies again. But look at in verse 72, he denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. He denied it with an oath. What did we learn about the Sermon on the Mount? What did Jesus say about taking oaths and swearing by? Don't do it. He said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be trustworthy. You don't have to swear with an oath. Your reputation goes before you. You're trustworthy. And look at that second denial. He even even took an oath there. He denied it again with an oath. After a while, those standing there, surely you are one of them for your accent gives you away. I heard this past week that a Galilean's accent is as noticeable as if somebody comes from Mississippi or Alabama up here. So you knew that the Galilean accent was very noticeable. Then he began to call down curses, and he swore, I don't know the man. Do you think that looks like self-centeredness? Do you think, who is Peter concerned about? Peter? (laughs) See, this is what I wanted you to see in these 75 verses. Look what a difference it looks like when you're on the throne versus when Jesus is on the throne. Look at the difference. No wonder, no wonder Jesus taught that what's in your heart is what's going to come out of you, come out in your in your actions. Immediately. Look at that. Did you notice? I don't know the man. And then what's the very next word? Immediately. The rooster crowed. And Peter remembered. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. That's the one thing about Peter that I like here. Is that he realized what he did. And he felt terrible about it. Do we feel terrible when we don't dare stand up for Jesus, when it's easier just to keep our mouth shut, when, we, when we're, too, we're too afraid to stand for the non-negotiable? The Bible says, God says, and when he makes it clear, because he will, you coward, you denied me, you disowned me, you weren't afraid, you were afraid to stand up for me. When he makes it known, do we weep bitterly because we let him down? Next week, we're going to see the difference between Judas and Peter. (laughs) Because if in my book, denying him or betraying him, just as bad. Sin is a sin. So we'll get into that next week. So 
Good lesson, everyone. 